mindfulness is like an awareness so you can be at your peak but you always need to have an awareness of what's going on in your life where are the pressures i think that's the deeper message between mindful peak performance because life isn't smooth you know we've got to continue even though we're going through challenges and how do you do that well my argument is you do it by not denying how you feel you acknowledge you learn techniques and you learn how to actually continue at a peak level but don't deny the feelings Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the best leader you can possibly be. It's my gift to you, and it's completely free. In today's episode, I am delighted and excited to introduce you to Luke Doherty. Luke trained as an elite rugby player and was capped for England under-18s. He earned a degree and postgraduate in law before finding the practices of mindfulness and then spent seven years living and working at the London Buddhist Centre. During this time, he managed breathing space and completed training with Breathworks and the Oxford University Mindfulness Centre before founding Mindful Peak Performance. It's an organisation that brings mindfulness to elite athlete and business leaders working with Premiership rugby and football players and Team GB athletes. His company also has a strong social vision to make mindfulness more accessible to disadvantaged young people through BAM, boxing and mindfulness programs. In this episode of the show, we bust a lot of myths about what mindfulness is and is not. We also chat about how he works specifically with senior leaders to develop their own mindfulness practice, which could simply involve a walk in nature, art, fly fishing, or something else entirely. Most importantly though, it's not just about sitting in silence for 10 minutes each day and trying to empty your mind. And in addition to all of this, we also talk about the importance of managing transitions as a leader, be that the small daily transitions, or major milestones in our work and personal lives. This is an episode you're going to get a huge amount of value for, I'm certain. But before we get into this episode, I've got an exciting opportunity for you. In the show notes, you will find a link to a competition that you can enter for a chance to win the full set of four books from the authors that I've interviewed in this season of the show. So do take a moment to do that right now. You can enter simply by adding your email address via the link in the show notes, and then you can expand your knowledge around leadership even further. But now sit back, relax, and let's dive right into this episode and my interview with Luke Doherty. Luke, a very warm welcome to the podcast. I've really been looking forward to this episode since we planned it a few months back. So welcome, first of all. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to seeing what unfolds in our conversation. Absolutely, Luke. So let me dive straight in. And I don't normally ask guests to tell me a little bit about their their backstory, or certainly I haven't for, for a long time. But yours is a really, really interesting one. So do you mind telling us a little bit about your backstory and how that has led you to do what it is that you're doing now yeah so my backstory started with rugby so from maybe the age of 12 to 20 I just wanted to play rugby wanted to be a professional rugby player 
and trained for that whole of that time with that goal in mind. And I played for England when I was 18. And then I stopped playing rugby and kind of burnt out all that drive, all that kind of ambition kind of left me quite drained and burnt out. So I then went into, I took a U-turn and I went to study law. I did two degrees in law, took the same discipline um, from rugby, and then I burnt out again. Took another U-turn into social care and started working with people with mental health issues, autism, learning disabilities, managing care homes. And really, that was a journey of like maybe starting to realize I need to look at my own mental health and why, what is all this drive about? Where's my, you know, there's very little inner contentment. And at that time, I found uh, meditation practice. I went along to the London Buddhist Center very resistantly, um, buying a sort of a meditation class for a friend of mine at the time. But really, it was me that needed the help. And it just had a massive, it was like a, a light switched on. And I was like, whoa. I think I started to realize how much I've been bottling my emotions, how my feelings and drive wasn't enough, like something was missing. And uh, meditation and mindfulness was the start of my journey of becoming more whole and not just relying on my driven, ambitious side, but also realizing that I have got vulnerabilities, I have got feelings, and they need to be taken into account if I'm going to be a successful, powerful person that's that's whole and not just driven. So then I spent seven years at the London Buddhist Centre, partly living there and managing the secular wing of their project, which was about teaching mindfulness for depression, addiction, stress, and went through the ordination process to explore whether I wanted to become a a sort of semi-monastic monk in a way. And that I got to the end of that process and realised, no, I've learned a lot here. And now I need to make sense of mindfulness in my own life. And then came up with the idea of, let's take mindfulness into the sports world. Um, sadly, I lost a couple of friends in the sports world who commit suicide in, in my 20s. And that was always played on my mind, the pressure that you can be put under, the pressure that I put myself under in that environment. And started working with Saracens and Harlequins and then various other sports since then. And just helping athletes learn how to deal with pressure and not just deny how you feel around it so you can continue and perform at your best and know how to handle that pressure and also diffuse it and then also helping athletes see that if you look after your mental well-being outside of sport and see what's going on there and look at where you're reacting to things you're, you're going to perform better naturally because you're not decompartmentalizing your life you're becoming more whole I guess the journey I've been on and that's translated into working with leaders and leadership teams. And then at the heart of the organization, we are helping young people through boxing and meditation programs. Again, helping young people find a different way into stillness and mindfulness practices by combining it with boxing. So yeah, they're the three things that we do within the organization, leaders, athletes, and young people. And all, all elements of the business somehow connect and touch to different various points in my life. Luke, I'm interested in your what you described as your sort of first foray into mindfulness and meditation. You said you um, bought an experience for, for a friend or fr friend of a friend and sort of reluctantly went along, along yourself. Looking back, do you think there was part of you that was buying that gift for yourself? Do you think there was a part of you back then that realized that was something that you needed or would benefit from? Or do you think it was it was it was pure and it was just as a gift for some somebody else because often we, we we give the advice we need ourselves don't we or buy the gift we would like for ourselves do you think there was some subconscious element at play there it was definitely not pure it was I think unconsciously I needed help I needed support and 
I think sometimes life shows shows gives you little nudges into things that you need. But I was very resistant. So yeah, maybe I needed the safety of of buying buying that for my friend as my way into it. And I, I like to also be an example for athletes that might be resistant because I can share the the resistance of my journey towards meditation, mindfulness, these things that might not seem like they're for you. But yeah, I've had a huge amount of resistance to stepping into that phase in my life where I had to acknowledge that I've got vulnerabilities, I've got feelings and emotions. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, and if we bring things more up to date, Luke, your organization now is called Mindful Peak Performance. And you've touched on this a, a little bit there in the opening question. But for you, what is Mindful Peak Performance? Like, what is that? How do you, how do you define it? To be performing at your best means that you've got to be able to take into account what's going on in your life. So if you're going through something in your personal life or a conflict or some kind of change is going on in your life and you're trying to be at your peak performance, you can only do that if you're honest with how you feel and have mechanisms to support how you feel on an emotional level. So mindfulness is like an awareness. So you can be at your peak, but you always need to have an awareness of what's going on in your life. Where are the pressures? What, you know, so that means you can continue being at peak level, but you've got to have that intelligent emotionally intelligent awareness of where are the pressures in my life and not denying them i think that's the deeper message between mindful peak performance because life isn't smooth you know we've got to continue even though we're going through challenges and how do you do that well my argument is you do it by not denying how you feel you acknowledge you learn techniques and you learn how to actually continue at a peak level but don't deny the feelings so for the purpose of being totally totally clear here and helping people understand when you say sort of being aware of what's going on in life and some of the the challenges you're you're facing I assume you are talking about this from more of an sort of emotional perspective and the emotional impact right because most of us are aware of of what is going on like I've got an elderly sick mum with with dementia kind of lost my father 12 months ago, works really busy. Like most of us are aware of of that, right? But it's, you're talking about being aware of the, how you're truly feeling about that and the impact that's having on you, right? That's a good point because, yeah, we we can intellectually know what's going on, but that doesn't necessarily mean we know what's going on emotionally or are giving space to what the emotions are. Because the emotions, if they're not felt and understood, they stay physically in the body and they, they, they create this pressure feeling. And this kind of internal um, disharmony. So what I'm saying with mindfulness is a technique to slow you down, to give space to emotions and feelings. And then to learn that if you do that, you're much more able to then continue with your life um, with balance as opposed to feeling always feeling uncomfortable or not, not quite in balance. So it's about creating those spaces and learning to value those spaces so that you can continue um, under pressure but you're not denying the emotional level. There's a lot of energy in that as well. People don't people don't realize that if you learn to engage with emotion and feeling, you can reclaim a lot of energy that gets denied or pushed down because you because you don't really have a framework of how to how to manage that. It's interesting. I've almost got this picture in my head of a leader who is dealing with a lot, is maybe feeling quite a lot of stress and pressure, and it being a bit like blowing up like a kid's party balloon, like blow it up, blow it up, blow it up. So it's almost at that maximum point before it pops, then trying to trying to hold it. And I guess before too long, one of two things is going to happen, right? Either some of that 
air in the balloon, some of that tension is going to slowly seep out. And if that's a behavior that's seeping out, those that we lead are going to notice it. Or suddenly the balloons are going to burst and it's going to explode out, right? Either of which isn't good for, for those that we lead. And we might think we are containing and it's not having an impact, but but I guess it, it, it will, right? Because there's a lot of lot of energy and as you said tension in in those emotions that we might be trying to hold in well one of the classic things is reactivity levels amplify so you get much more irritable at people your judgment becomes more foggy you 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 tend to be more impulsive and reactive when you're not processing your emotions and as a leader people pick up on that immediately and then that amplifies out and the influence that has on others starts to um starts to spread out so yeah, it is. It's um, for leaders particularly. It can have um, quite a detrimental effect if you haven't got that kind of. You're not building that kind of awareness into your life. Yeah, mindfulness isn't the only way to do it. It is about valuing a space where you're not doing things, where you're slowing down, where you're letting your awareness land in a different way that isn't caught up in action plans, to do lists, conversations. It's, it's learning to find that that kind of space in your life and starting to value what that can then bring into your leadership, to your clarity of mind. Mindfulness is a great way to learn how to do that. But for some people it's reading, walking, painting, whatever, like it's, but it is about creating and valuing that space where you're not constantly thinking and mentally active. Yeah. So that's a nice leading and we've probably covered it already, but let me ask the question and see if it takes us anywhere else. I was going to say, I, I know that as you've just said for you, sort of mindfulness this concept of mindful peak performance it is about so much more and comes from more than i say just it's probably not the right word comes more from more than doing 10 minutes of mindfulness med- meditation it can be lots of things right for, so for those people where maybe sitting quietly with their own thoughts for 10 minutes a day feels like quite inaccessible or too big a first step there's a lot more that we could be doing right to to try and access that state and tune into some of those feelings and emotions yeah well i think first of all when i'm working with people they're like i can't do this i've never done meditation or mindfulness before but then i just ask them well what where what makes you happy have you got an example of something you've been absorbed in recently and someone might say i was working with a very high level athlete who fly fishing was his was his thing and he was describing it to me and i was like yeah that's that's like a meditation when you're not thinking you're absorbed you're kind of like connected to your body that is where mindfulness is trying to take you so i you know it could be gardening it could be whatever so like the the principle of mindfulness applies to lots of things and then what meditation practice does which is closing your eyes and learning to quiet in your thoughts a bit like when you're training in the gym you you do must you, you do repetitions to build muscle so in meditation practice it's a direct way of cultivating a state of mind where your mind is quiet so when your mind wanders off you come back to the body into the breath and you're guided into learning how to come away from those repetitive thoughts for example like when you're trying to sleep at night and your mind starts kicking off you can learn very illness and clarity and calm into life but we, we all we all have our own ways of doing it as well. Like I said, fly fishing, reading a book, all of these things are supporting uh, the same kind of awareness. So I guess really it's about trying to, as much as we can, be fully present in the moment, right? Not thinking about and replaying past events. I wish I'd done this. What do people think of me when I said that? Not having a degree of anxiety, thinking about what's coming up, what you've got to do, what's what's next your next meeting where you're going what might happen but just learning to for a period just be be calm and fully in the moment right 
Absolutely, yeah. And when you do that and when you can start mastering that, energy comes back to you because whenever you, when you start thinking, it's like energy is going out. So you're bringing energy back to yourself, regathering yourself, and then you step back into whatever whatever action you're doing next. And it's it's a bit of a game changer when you start to when you start to feel the benefits of this type of work, really. That reminds me as, as well of something I read just before I went on holiday last week and experience from recently just, just taking a week off. So just had a, a wonderful week with uh, five or six old friends, kind of all our families up, up in Scotland, kind of camping, beautiful weather, beautiful su- surroundings. And I've come back feeling really re-energized and, and re- revitalized. Um, but at the same time, it, it was quite a tiring week because catching up with lots of old friends, mostly from the military, telling old stories, staying up too late, probably drinking a little little too much. So I come back like physically tired because I've, I've slept way less than I know I, I need to sleep. But I still feel massively re-energized. And the thing I read just before holiday was somebody talking about different types of rest. So there's physical rest, sort of spiritual, emotional, mental. So I didn't think about work at all for for the whole seven days of the school half term holidays when I was away. A few months back, I took all my email off of off of my phone. My social media is on there for work. I actually didn't really check that at all when I was away. So I come back feeling really really re energized because I was just for a week. I think I was fully in the moment, day to day, not really thinking much about work that's just gone or work that's that's coming up and. Yeah, I'd, I'd never fully grasped that concept of like the different types of, of of rest that we we can experience and probably need, right? In meditation, we activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is a nervous system which balances out threat and kind of adrenaline, cortisol. And if you learn to sit in that space where that side of the nervous system is is operating, it's it's in between sleep and not it's like an in-between state that's deeply restful for your nervous system and it really helps counterbalance input technology screens all of the kind of ways that our nervous system can just be like sharpened by all of this input so i myself i know there is science around this as well but i feel this benefit of of having little breaks where i can drop into that calming state of mind which isn't quite asleep but it, it isn't like totally alert. It's like a total, um, it's like a reset state. So it's, as you're talking, I'm thinking like that's 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 one of the benefits of developing um, a mindfulness practice, that, that kind of rejuvenation um, towards this adrenaline, cortisol, stress, anxiety. And um, as you described that week, I can totally see how it was busy and full, but it was a total, like a really positive escape from the everyday mindset and really absorbing um so i guess like always looking for things where we get absorbed um if it's the right kind of outlets we can get absorbed in in toxic things of course yeah. but that sounds really awesome that experience yeah and i think especially sort of um camping like whizzing one of these really nice gl- glamping pods but i think it, essentially as long as you don't then go away with all of your technology and your ipad and take your tv camping which some people do again no, no judgment that, that's their choice right it takes you back to uh a purer, more sort of ancient lifestyle, right? Where we are in and surrounded by by nature, living quite a, a, a simple life where we've not got all of these news feeds and social media feeds coming at us that can trigger all sorts of sort of anxiety and, and pressure and, and get us in that, that threat state, right? 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And you mentioned a few minutes ago, Luke, sort of a, a mindfulness practice. Again, it's interesting because over the years we said to this, when we, we talked about this, sorry, when we were preparing for this interview, for many years I've tried to get into a regular mindfulness meditation practice and there have been periods where I've done really well. There's been periods of nearly nine months where I've probably not done it at all. And traditionally, I have used some of the mindfulness apps to to help me. Like, what's your view on some of those apps and the the pros and cons, or the benefits and and the downsides that they might bring? I mean, broadly speaking, mindfulness is caught, not taught. So you need to catch it from someone or a context. You need to. So when I was when I started, I was a, I went along to a Buddhist center and, and engaged there, and it was in a community of people, and there was people teaching, and that allowed me to connect to meditation and mindfulness practice in a really felt way. The, the problem with apps is it's you're left often on your own. You've got headphones in. You're listening to guidance. No one can help you make sense of what happens in the practice after to nudge you where how you need to kind of work with your mind in the meditation. So it's it sort of needs to be relational. It's a relational thing. And then you've got apps which can help you build habits. So you, you're building in 10 minutes a day. But I would say for people to look for, um, look for a context, learn it through someone, and then start using the apps. Because if we just rely on the apps, it's, it, be, it can become very thin. We can't really deepen our practice. Because we come up against resistance in, when we start practicing meditation. And we've got to then know how to move beyond that resistance. And you can't really talk to the app and say, this happened in the meditation. And so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of common pitfalls that stop people from deepening a meditation practice. And if you can learn with, an, with a group or another person, you can learn to like navigate challenges when they come up. So you've got a confident meditation practice. Hey, quick one for you. I want to make sure that you know about my 10 for 10 leadership program. It's an online program that's totally free. It's bite-sized and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges that I frequently get asked about. It's also a course that gets consistently great feedback. You can find out more by heading to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the one of the downsides I've found from using the the app is the one I, I use Calm at the minute, and I I totally get why this functionality is in the app because it on the one hand it does help us build build a habit, but you can see a, a calendar and every day you do a meditation through the app, it gives you a little dot or or a cross on the on the calendar, so you can see like you yourself building this this golden chain. But then that in itself can start to be a bit of a pressure and a sense of anxiety. Like there was, there was one day where it was towards the end of the day, I was like, oh man, I've not done my meditation today. And then you have got this functionality where you can manually add one. So I literally found myself in my head having the conversation going, well, I could just like click on the magic button and then it will then pretend I've done it. And then I've maintained my chain. And then like that's creating all sorts of mental turmoil and, and tension for me. And then on the other hand, you can start to feel this pressure to maintain the chain or because I was away last week, there's about three or four days where, where I didn't do it. And on the one hand, I go, oh, man, I've broken my chain. I had a 34 days, which was the best I ever had. And I think, oh, no, this is just like this is like counter the the purpose of, of, of doing this is now starting to create some some tension. So there are, there are definitely pros and cons from from my experience. 
it's also making me think when I started meditation, I took, it was almost like the athlete did it. So I became very driven around it, very kind of like, and then it got to a point where I just took the same discipline and drive as, as an athlete into into meditation practice. And it kind of, it became very tense. And I was like, this isn't, this doesn't feel quite right. This isn't what meditation practice should be doing. So yeah, we do have different motives. And I think, again, talking to somebody who, who's been through the process over a number of years can just help nudge at certain points. Sometimes we need to, we need a nudge in a different direction or to go easy on ourselves or to, yeah, that's why I think apps can be on their own and not enough, basically. So that's interesting though. When you mentioned at the start of your journey, you was applying your athlete mentality to it. Do you find that's similar when you are working with coaching senior leaders that they apply this very driven, competitive, like must win attitude? Is that something you find yourself having to to help them them overcome? Because I can imagine like if you're a senior leader, if you're a CEO, you're going to have a similar mindset to an, to an elite athlete, right? About like win at all costs. This is what good looks like hundred percent or nothing. Yeah. It's funny with athletes, it's more consistent that they bring that discipline in with business leaders. It's not for some business leaders. It's like when I'm working on, it's not about developing a daily meditation practice. It's about having that hour a week to deepen into a meditation and understand the feeling of being still, but then translating that in in various ways. It doesn't have their own strategies, basically. But with some, yeah, with some people, that same drive and discipline comes in. But I found with leaders, it's been a real variety. And for some leaders, they've, I've, I've purposefully not moved them towards having daily meditation practices for that reason. They might get they might get hooked on it in that way. So instead, look for well, wh- where else can stillness be developed? It doesn't have to be in meditation. And then we might re- we might revisit developing a daily habit in a couple of months or a few weeks. So it's um it's it's really bespoke with each individual actually with the leadership work. And what are some of the typical benefits that the the leaders you work with report after after working with you, Luke? Like what do they say shifts for them? What are some of the changes? I think one of the biggest changes is reactivity levels, being able to be aware when they are reacting or their body language is kind of tense around a person or a situation and, and, and learn to internally pause before responding so that there's a much more clear and objective and considered response. So not just pinging that email back in anger or like if in board meetings or in meetings, holding the space, holding the reaction, and then coming in with something objective and clear and, and really true to what they want to say. So in that way, there's a lot of power, actually, that you can gain through that emotional and mental control as you develop more awareness about how you react to situations. And then I think the more you do that, you 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 carry less... Um, there's a bit more of an integral, authentic feeling about you when you're when you've got that kind of awareness, which means you carry less pressure around with you. And it supports transitioning out of work a bit more balanced, not feeling as stressed at weekends, you know, not getting to Friday and just being completely like knackered, although it happens to everybody. So, yeah, that I'd, but I'd say that looking where the reactions are, looking where the pressure is, that's like that's the heart of where I, I tend to go with leaders and then help them develop awareness around that and soften that. So the work you do with with leaders, is it all around helping 
them to increase and and have that that awareness and how much if at all is it about sort of then encouraging them to share some of what might be going on for them with with those that they lead and, and the reason i asked that question is i think so much about about leadership is is about a, a balance right it's about operating in in the gray area as opposed to to the black and white so on to give you an example like on on one hand i absolutely believe like a leader's job is to um sort of energize and, and inspire those those that we lead so leaving people with more energy giving them a sense of of belief and what's possible and that we we can achieve things and at the very same time i believe sort of honesty and being very authentic is 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 really really key now obviously there's a there's a balance and a certain degree of tension between those right we we don't want to go to work and pretend everything is 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 rosy and just make everything positive but equally, if we're a leader and we're going into working like, oh, my God, like oh, I've got this going on for me. I've got dealing with all these emotions at the minute. Like that's not helpful either. But but sometimes sharing a bit of what's going on for us, I think, is is useful. So I'm just curious, like, does that crop up in in, in your work much with with the leaders you work with? Yeah, it's a real it's a it's a real tension. And it's an area that I often explore. And I think the principle that makes it work is ownership. So if you're having a going for a challenge and you're a leader, um, but you've got, say, a mindfulness practice or some way of like developing awareness about what's going on, you're taking ownership of those emotions and feelings. It might be difficult, but then you then if you decide to share that with 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 a colleague or with a work team, it's not coming from a place of like, I'm frantic, I need your help or chaos. It's coming from I know what's going on. This is what's going on. And it's difficult. That level of ownership and kind of acknowledgement is really powerful gift to another person because you're strong in it. You're showing, yeah, I'm vulnerable, but I'm continuing and I've got this, but it's difficult. That is a really strong mirror to another person. If it's done in a like, oh, we're going, it's chaotic, that, that's, no, that's not useful to anybody. But dignified ownership of challenges, which I think what mindfulness allows you to do, it allows you to go through pain and challenges and transitions with dignity and not denial and that there's a kind of noble quality that comes out if you're willing to be honest in that way and people find it infectious and that is for me the mark of an authentic leader someone that knows when to share what's going on in their life from a place of ownership and authenticity i love that and it really resonates with something i find myself these days speaking about more and more and more when it comes to, to leadership which is really about intentionality or being very intentional about everything we we do and listening to you talk there Luke it's really connected a number of dots for me that whatever it might be if we can develop a sort of mindfulness practice that works for us enables us to tune in much more deeply to what's going on for us which then means we can share calmly in a non-reactive very intentional way when we need to, when it's right, what might be going on for us. And as you say, that will then become re really powerful, right? And it's quite a, a courageous, bold thing to do that actually in itself inspires other people because it's not that sudden like reacting, woe is me, this is what's going on, but very, very purposeful. Yeah, that's exactly it, intention and purpose. 
And um, yeah, it's a very powerful place for a leader to get really. And the permission it gives to others to be like, okay, I'm you, that person's human. I'm also human. It creates kind of ease really. And I think that's um, a powerful baton that a leader can pass pass on within an organization. And it's not saying let's go around and, and spend the whole time talking about our, our challenges. It's, it's not that it's about just accepting our humanity within teams and organizations and, and being real. And we could certainly do with a little bit more humanity in the world and, and at work right now, I think for sure. Yeah. 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 Luke, probably the final main question that I'd love to, to ask you is linked to a topic that seems to be cropping up for me at the minute in all sorts of areas and conversations and everywhere I, I look. So that leads me to think perhaps it's the, the universe trying to tell me something. And it's, it's around transitions. I keep hearing that the, the word crop up, as, as I say. And I heard you talk, maybe one of our previous conversations, maybe in something of yours I saw on social media, but I heard you talk about micro and macro transitions. Can you tell me more about what that means for you? Yeah, so for me personally, like the, the micro transitions are between meetings, between Zoom calls, between conversations, like taking two or three minutes to stop, be still. I, I do my own meditation practice or I just walk in the park. But just taking stock of what's happened in that meeting and not just going back to back. And then I find if I don't put those micro transitions in, I'll take I won't have digested or really like like even seen an opportunity that might have emerged within a conversation or a situation or a meeting. It just gets blended into the next situation. And at the end of the day, my energy is like a knot and I need to go to the gym or I need to go and do something to unravel. If I put micro transitions in between meetings and I've got my own three three minute meditation practices, um, which I'm more than happy to share with the audience, it just helps break down that pressure that can build up if you don't build in pauses. So that's the micro level. And then in the macro level, it's like we can't get past the fact that life's going to throw things up. Whether you're with you're an athlete, you, you might get injured, you're going to have to retire at some point, you're going to get deselected. Um, you're going to be in conflict in 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 life generally go through bereavements breakups you name it like we this is life so when we go through those transitions if you have a mindfulness practice and an awareness practice that can help you support those those situations firstly you can continue without bottling up all the feelings and then and that really affecting you physically emotionally and mentally and secondly nine times out of ten whenever you go through a transition and face it consciously there's always a quality that comes out at the end that's more you. There's something galvanizes when we go through change, if you face it consciously, that makes you a bigger person. I've been through endless transitions over the last five years. Every single one of them has made me a deeper, bigger, more confident, more self-assured person. And that's because I've tried to face them consciously and not deny the feeling. So I, I think transitions are horrible, painful, sometimes even despairing but if you stay with the process and have the right uh, support and, and tools they are the, they are the best way to grow as human beings yeah and that reminds me of the philosophy from the the stoics or stoicism right that the obstacle is the way not something to be avoided but it is the way the the growth the development comes from those those challenges so it's 
whilst we wouldn't wish it upon ourselves, equally it's not something to be avoided, right? Because as you just said there, that's where the the growth really comes from. We merge the other side normally better, stronger. If we, I guess, again, if we pause to sit with it, to analyze it, to review it. And also it's making me think that meditation, learning as a business leader to stop and be still and meditate is a very radical transition in itself because not many leaders or people that are very, very busy, they're not often acclimatized what it's like to be still, to not be useful to people, to not be busy, to not be gaining some kind of valid validation externally. So that just in itself is a very um, useful transition to go through, to learn how to kind of like be in a different mode and not be active and busy all the time. And you said a few minutes back, you're happy to share sort of your two, three minute transition process, like at a top, top line, what sort of thing are you, are you talking about there? What does that, what does that typically look like? So it will be, I will, I will give access to the audience to a series of meditations I created with um, Harlequin's rugby team. There's five, 10, and three minute options. And they're just really short mini meditations that can help you, that can you can fit in with the busyness of your daily life in between meetings, uh, before and after training. There's a, there's a whole little selection you can have a look at if you're just curious and want to give a meditation a go. Don't just rely on the meditation. You might not want to work with me personally, but go and find a center or go, you know, if you really want to deepen a practice, go and like learn it fully. But these little, little mini pauses can make a big difference. Brilliant. So we'll add details of how people can get hold of that into the show notes for everyone listening. Luke, to, to finish up, I've got two of my regular quickfire questions I'd love to ask you. And the first one is, what would you say is the one book that has had the greatest impact upon you? It, at the moment, it's um, Healing in a Toxic Culture by Gabor Mate, which is a re- relatively new book, but it's, um, it is really quite a profound read. Love it. And what is one item other than your phone that you would immediately go out and replace if it were to be lost, stolen or broken? This is going to sound really um, novel, but it's like a bum bag. As well as being a mindfulness teacher, I lose everything. My, my practical mindfulness is not where it should be. So I've got this like thing that I wear around around my waist and it just prevents me from losing anything. Right. So if I didn't if that was lost, I would be immediately <laughs> out trying to find something. It's not a very sexy answer, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's cool. That's why I love this question because we get such a, a wide, broad range of answers that people share. So no, I love it. Super cool. Luke, thank you so much for, for your time today. It's been a wicked conversation could easily have carried on asking you questions for another 40 minutes i'm i'm sure um, but thank you so much for your time um, before we wrap up if people want to get in touch with you maybe work with you or find about out more about what you do what is the best way for them to do that please so reach out to luke doherty on linkedin or also www.mindfulpeakperformance.com and drop me a line see the services we provide on there amazing luke once again thanks so much for your time it's been a brilliant conversation good luck for the future and i wish you all the best with everything you're building thanks ben i hope you found that conversation valuable folks but most importantly i really hope that you're able to go away and make some small positive changes as a result 
If you did get value from this episode, then please do rate, review and subscribe via iTunes as it really does enable us to keep bringing you more and more interviews with fantastic leaders and subject matter experts. Do also visit ben-morton.com where you can connect with me, find out more about my leadership mentoring and team development work along with details of all of my online programs via the tools and resources page. That's it for this episode. See you again in the next one very soon and lead on.